The Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies presents the Sydney and Miriam Brettler Memorial Lecture Series 2021-5781. This year, we are delighted to feature a three-part series with Professor Rabbi Dahlia Marks, entitled Women's Prayers and Women Prayers from Chana to Today. Be sure to subscribe and get all of the latest from Pardes Online. You can do so by visiting elmod.pardes.org or you can find us on Spotify. And now, part three, Opportunities and Challenges of Modernity with Professor Rabbi Dahlia Marks. Shalom and good evening, everybody. I'm very, very happy to be here again with you in this uh, third and last uh, lecture uh, in our journey, which will be by definition incomplete and only tentative. Today we will talk mostly about uh, women's prayers in early modernity, but we will also talk a little bit as much as time uh, allows uh, on, on about contemporary, contemporary uh, Judaism. Please write your questions if you have any and Alex will collect them and he will present them at the end of the session. I think this would be the best and easiest uh, way of doing it. So thank you again, Mark and Dina and Elias for the invitation. And thank you, Machon Pardes, Rabbi Leo and Alex and all the good people of Pardes for organizing this. Um, but before we, we go to early modernity, I have a very happy note here uh, to all of you. Uh, a joyous chova, uh, if you want to call it this way. Last week I was uh, saying that regrettably I can only talk about the Ashkenazic experience because we mostly have uh, material from the Ashkenazic world. But then on uh, on the at the end of Shabbat, my husband, of all people, my husband Rolly showed me a a, a magazine from not not so new where it speaks about uh, where, where the, uh, there's an essay, beautiful essay by Dr. David Nirenberg. He was then a professor at Princeton, uh, where he publishes a letter from a woman in Saragossa from 1325. Uh, and it talks about a woman called Chetty. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. And, uh, and, she, and, she, and she calls herself a rabbi. <laughs> 1325. This is very, very interesting. So immediately I wrote David uh, Nirenberg and he responded to me and he said that he didn't study anything more about her, about this woman Chetty. There's not, uh, he doesn't know of any more material that was done, any more research, but uh, this is a very interesting letter. Let me share it with you. I don't know how, how well is your uh, <laughs> Latin. My Latin is not so well, but um, just, I thought it would be interesting to see that. Wait. Okay. So this is the letter. And in some respects, it's very, very clear. It was issued at the request of a woman called Chetty, a Jewess, Jewess, Rebes, Rebes, I think you should pronounce it, Rebes, of the female Jews of the major synagogue in Saragossa. And this woman, Chetty, uh, states that she has worked in the office of the rabbinate for many years, for almost for 20 years or more, and now she complains that a Jew is malice, maliciously trying to have her evicted from that office, despite the fact that all the woman, women in the congregation 
really wants her to continue to be the leader of the community. So it's really hard to, to know, to see, to, to, to draw meaning from this letter. We don't really know what we can learn about it, especially with the, since we don't know anything about this woman, we don't have any other references to her or any other references to women in Officio Rabinatus. It is clear though that it, is, it, it doesn't talk about the woman of a rabbi. It's not the Rebetzin, because it, it, doesn't speak, it, it doesn't speak in a feminine voice. And if she was the wife of the Rebbe, then how can you evict her from her office? So it's not very clear what she was doing. But it seems like, you see, the, the beginning, early 14th century in Spain, we have a woman who had an official role uh, in the community among women. And I thought it's interesting because it sort of uh, broadens our canvas when we come to, uh, to paint or to, to depict the role of women in uh, early antiquity. And to people who are wondering what is this uh, background that I have behind me, <laughs> that's the Tfilat Adam. That's the title of the new uh, Israeli reform Sidur that I was uh, uh, fortunate enough to be the, the chief editor. Um, and I'm trying to have the Yud over my head all the time. This is a little bit uh, tricky here. <laughs> so we're, we're going to have to talk about uh, today about the early modernity. We spoke about pray women's prayer in the Bible, in Second Temple, in the classical rabbinic literature, in the Middle Ages. Of course, all our discussions are tentative because we know only from what is what we can find in the writing we cannot depict we cannot learn from living experience of women but we we try to to draw all these threads and see if we can um provide a a picture that as i said would be interesting but but tentative um, so what is the, when we talk about early modernity when it, it, with regard to judaism there are, as, as I'm sure you all know, debates how, when, when early modernity begins. Uh, no, this is not our topic, of course. For, for my purpose, I will, I will talk about, let's say, 16th century, uh, where the printing press revolution was uh, in power within the Jewish community. You know that the Jews uh, enjoyed a lot of, of these uh, new possibilities to uh, produce material and to in a relatively cheap and fast way uh, to to larger uh, audience liturgy of course is one of these uh, uh, um, uh, fields uh, and sometimes you really have new genres and we will dedicate uh, much of our discussion to one of these genres i just want to to show you this uh, picture that i chose here uh, the pious uh, Hannah and her Shabbat. Uh, and it, um, it, it depicts the different um, uh, mitzvot of women on Shabbat. We will get to it in a second. Uh, and the genre that I'm referring to is the tchines, hatchinot. Tchines is a Hebrew word, not as some people think. It's not, a, it's not Yiddish, it's Hebrew, but in, in Ashkenazic um, pronunciation. The word trina means supplication, which is uh, one of the major genres of tefillah, right? We have thanksgiving, we have petitions, and we have uh, praise. And supplication, trinot, is, is um, um, I would say, um, 
a more intensive way of petition. So this is the Trinot, the special prayers that were meant for women. Uh, we hear about Philot mostly from the 17th to the 19th century. The first uh, Trina book was uh, printed, as far as we know, in uh, uh, 1590, 1590. It was an eight-page, um, uh, very small volume of five Trinot. Uh, trinot, the trinus were, you see, I, I have the, the bad inclination to use my Hebrew pronunciation here, my, my Israeli Hebrew, but it's not trinot, it's trinus. Um, they were printed until the Second World War, until the Holocaust and the destruction of the Jewish communities in Europe, mostly in East and Central Europe. Today, there are some segments within Judaism that still use the trinot. And we, I, I would like us to delve a little bit into this, uh, into this genre that there is, there is, I would say, scholarly debate. What is the meaning? What is really the meaning of of this uh, of this type of prayers? And I would like to present to you some of these things, and I hope that you um, uh, you you will have your own opinion of what what do they actually mean. So first of all, many of the trinot have to do with mitzvot chana, the three commandments that have to do with women, the tr three commandments that are time-bound uh, mitzvot. As you know, that women are exempt from many of the time-bound mitzvot, but these are uh, special mitzvot that are, and they are chala, nida, and hadlakat ner. Let us see where this uh, phrase, these phrases came from. Uh, we find in the Mishnah this very, I would say, effective and scary threat. Al shalosh averot nashim metot bishat leidatan al nizarot banida For three transgressions, women die during childbirth, and as you know, in, in antiquity, or in, in the until until our times, this was a uh, this was something that happened to a, a lot of women. A lot of women died during childbirth or lost uh, the baby. So that was a very effective um, uh, threat. And what are these uh, three commandments? For the, or, or they, the, the commandments they don't observe. For they are not careful in observing the laws of menstruation. That's the nida, the family purity laws. And in chala, the separating the door dough of the chala, uh, of, of the, uh, when they bake bread, and hadlakat uh, in lighting of the uh, Shabbat candle. And here you can see a, um, a, a picture depicting these uh, three mitzvot. So a lot of the um, trinot have to do with these three, uh, three commandments. So it's not enough just to say the blessing for the commandment, but women are also encouraged to say special prayers uh, presenting their own wishes and desires and, and yearnings when they perform these, uh, these mitzvot. Now, knowing that not everybody can, uh, can really uh, create uh, their own beautiful liturgy, you have, you have prayers that were written for them in the vernacular, that is to say, mostly in Yiddish, but we will see also German um, uh, trines. And the trines are often, uh, how shall I say it in a polite way, not all of them are, I would say, a symbol of uh, beautiful liter literacy, uh, 
literary, you know, poetry or aesthetics. They are meant to emulate, as it were, the, the, the normal speech of people, right? The, the normal speech of women. Many of these trinot, uh, trines were composed by women. Some of them, we know their names. Some of the trines, we don't know who, who composed them. And some scholars believe that uh, some of them were even composed by men. That is to say, men writing as if they were women. And what would women like to think about? What would women like to request and to, uh, to, to ask for? Or what women should ask for? So this is, again, the question that we raised last week. Is it uh, what you call educational tracking? Haslala, we call it in Hebrew. Or is it just trying to see what women want to say and say it and, and, and print it on, on, uh, uh, in these, in these uh, volumes? Um, and I would say that this, uh, this, uh, this, this genre was popular, especially in the 18th and 19th century. Probably mostly because of the printing press that uh, enabled people to to spread books, as I said, in in a, in the very easy way. The assumption was literacy that women, that is to say, women could read the text, but not uh, necessarily uh, Hebrew literacy. That's why it was they were uh, uh, produced in the vernacular, just like Tzena Urena. Someone mentioned them last week in the questions. Uh, which is the, the Torah commentary meant especially for women by Rabbi Yaakov ben Yitzchak Ashkenazi. There was also uh, romantic uh, uh, books that were uh, liter liter you know, uh, literature that was uh, uh, published for, for women. Many rabbis didn't like it very much, uh, you know, the content and also the styles. Um, but sometimes uh, it's interesting the the very popular literacy uh, literature in Yiddish that was meant for women enabled publishers to uh, to publish more I would say distinguished books that were meant for uh, learned men. So uh, I mean they were they were not necessarily uh, frowned upon. Some rabbis didn't like them very much, but they understood the necessity of this kind of book. And we know about uh, women who were part of this uh, uh, creativity uh, process. Um, so we can talk about, when we talk about mitzvot chana, the commandment, the, the three women commandments, we can talk about a situation where uh, women life passages acquired uh, importance and acquired religious meaning. When a woman is thinking about getting married, uh, intimacy between uh, the spouses, the desire to become pregnant, the desire to have a easy and safe uh, childbirth, the the desire for children's um, health and uh, education, the the health of the spouse, a, a lot of things. There's a there's a trine for for baking a kugel also. Yeah, there are all kinds of trines. Uh, around some of them um, have to do with life passages, some of them have to do with yearly events, and some of them just uh, um, uh, meditations for, for women. And I would like to, uh, to show you uh, it, some examples. I would like to, to concentrate on, on two of these volumes. And I think we can see what, what is interesting to see about them is the back and forth 
between the very personal, the very emotional, the very private even, and, and placing uh, all these things in the national um, and, and general um, rhetoric of, of, of Jewish uh, thought. And, and many of these uh, trinot uh, present, I would say, uh, a world of a lot of suffering and sadness and insecurity, uh, and, and, and nevertheless, a lot of confidence and faith uh, in the divine. The first book that I would like to, to share with you is probably the most uh, printed one, and it's called Seder Trinot. Let me show you the, um, the text. Wait, sorry. Seder Trinot. Here, here's the, uh, um, the, the, the front page of Seder Trinot, Order of Trinot. It was uh, published, it was printed for the first time in Amsterdam in 1648. And for 70 years, or a little bit more than 70 years, it was uh, reproduced and reprinted again and again and again in dozens and dozens of uh, 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 copies, uh, dozens and dozens of um, um, <laughs> times. <laughs> Sorry, for, I forgot the word. Uh, uh, in different communities, in different uh, cities, by different publishers. But nevertheless, the structure of Seder Trinot remained more or less the same. And the unique feature of Seder Trinot is that it not, does not only talk about prayers that women would say in the domestic realm for themselves. For example, the Chana uh, blessings, the Chana prayers, uh, the special uh, mitzvot that were meant for women, but also accompany the prayers in the synagogue. So you have special prayer for opening the, the ark and you have special uh, prayers that uh, are meant for Rosh Chodesh and special prayers that are meant for uh, uh, special uh, days within the year, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, etc. And many of these Seder Trinot volumes were printed along with the Siddur. So a woman could have a, 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 the special prayers for her in the vernacular, in the language that is that it is easy for her to understand and to read, and at the same time the standard uh, liturgy, if you want to call it this way. Um, and, and all right, so I, I would like to show you one. Uh, uh, so sorry, before before I want to show you one text uh, from from that. Um, uh, a few years ago, I think fifteen years ago, uh, Deborah K produced a uh, scholarly uh, edition of Seder Trinot in English, with a translation uh, in English. Um, uh, but but uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I can only bring you a, a, a different translation because of uh, royalties. Uh, and here there's a, a Trina for Shabbat candle lighting from Seder Trinot. Um, and uh, I take it from, uh, from a, a, an essay by Chava Weisler, who, who extensively wrote about, uh, about the Trines uh, literature. And this is a part, uh, just a passage, because these, these, I'm talking about a very wordy kind of uh, liturgy, lit liturgy uh, very long text. So this is just a passage from uh, a Trina, a Trine for candle lighting. And the woman is saying the, uh, as follows, Lord of the world, I have done all my work in the six days and will now rest as you have commanded and will light the two lights according to the requirement of our holy Torah as interpreted by our sages to honor you 
and the Holy Shabbat. And now comes the surprising part. And may the lights be in your eyes like the lights that the priest kindled in the temple. And let our eyes not extinguish, be extinguished and let your, uh, your light shine upon us. So see what she's doing here. She's, I mean, I'm saying she, I don't know who, who wrote it, by the way. This is very interesting because we don't know who wrote Seder Brachot, Seder Trines. Uh, I guess we will never know who composed Seder Trines. Um, but the composer of Seder Trines likens the woman who lights this Shabbat candles in her own home to the priest in the temple, yeah, to the Kohen, Kohen in the temple. So I think this is a very meaningful thing uh, to to uh, ascribe such a such authority and such power to the woman who who observes this mitzvah. I want to show you another uh, a, a text because this uh, this motive of uh, a woman who compares herself to a priest, to a kohen, or even to a high to the high priest, is something that we often find in these uh, trines. And I want to bring you uh, uh, another text. Let's see if I can really upload it. Um, from a woman, uh, from a, a writer that is called Sura Bastoivim, or Sora Bastoivim, Sarah, a daughter of Tovim. We don't know who she is. We really don't know much about, uh, about this person. Uh, again, maybe it's, it's not even a woman. And by the way, I just wanted to tell you that I'm, 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 I'm reading it from a text that was uh, um, uploaded uh, uh, by the Open Sidur Project. It's a beautiful, beautiful project that uh, aims to uh, enable all kinds of liturgy to, uh, to all kinds of Jews. And it is available, everything is available online. And the, uh, the, the person who, who does it is, is very, very uh, generous, uh, enabling all of us to enjoy it. So this is the trina for candle uh, making on Erev Yom Kippur. Yeah? And it's ascribed to Surah Bastoivim. And she says, here again, you see this is a long text. May the merit of my mitzvah of candles be accepted as equivalent to the flame which the Kohen Gadol lit in the Beit Mikdash, in the Holy Temple of Jerusalem, so that it may illuminate the eyes of our children in the study of, of the uh, Holy Torah. I think this is a beautiful text that, um, that shows you uh, how women uh, perceived their role in the domestic realm. So again, we're not talking about gender equality, and we're not talking about empowerment uh, or feminism as we do these days, but we do talk about uh, ascribing very important role to women and to what they did uh, in their domestic uh, uh, sphere. Um, I want to move now to another text. So this is uh, this was Seder Trinus, Amsterdam, 1648 for 70 years, more than 40 uh, reprints in different communities, in different cities, but the structure and the content remain more, more or less the same. We don't know who wrote it. And uh, now for something that, uh, a text that is quite different from that one. And here we know who composed it. We, we have the name of the author and we have some information about the, her biography. And I'm talking about Fanny Noida, 
Fanny Noida, who uh, uh, lived in uh, Moravia. She came from a very learned and rabbinic family. Uh, she was the daughter of a rabbi. She married Rabbi uh, Abraham Noida, who had not only Jewish education, but also uh, general education. Uh, they lived in Lushitz or Lushitsa, which is a rabbi, a, a village in Moravia. And, and, and in, in these um, areas, the, the middle class, the middle upper class of Jews spoke German. And they were also exposed to the fruits of, uh, of uh, the Haskalah, the Enlightenment. Noida was very concerned about the girls and the young women in her community and their education. She, she saw that the girls uh, receive a reasonable education. They learned their languages, they learned uh, music, they learned um, uh, literature, the literature of the world, but they were very poor in her eyes when it came to Jewish education. And part of what she did was to write special prayers, special tchines for these women. The women around her, the young women, the girls around her, that's probably what she did. But since her husband, Rabbi Avraham Noida, passed away when he was a very young man, she decided uh, to have a memorial project on his behalf. And she, uh, she decided to publish uh, her tchines, her prayers. And this is what we call the Stunden den, der Andacht an Gebet und Erbauungsbuch für Israels Frauen und Jungfrauen. The uh, hours of devotion, a Gebet and um, a prayer and um, meditation, I would say, book for uh, the women of Israel and for uh, young women also, yeah, Jungfrauen, uh, maidens. Uh, so, uh, she published her book in 1855 and it was later on uh, reprinted in many editions. Some of them, I would say, were a little bit corrupted. Uh, we're not going to go into that, but there was some censorship going on um, and some people didn't like very much that she was so involved also in the, the European culture, not only Jewish culture. Um, however, I find her books very, very Jewish. Uh, later, lately, uh, it was, um, it was uh, uh, translated to English uh, by Dina Berland. But here I will write, read to you from the old, uh, from the old translation by uh, Moritz Meyer, because um, because of again royalties and because this is what was uh, available to me in this uh, situation of <laughs> the siege where I'm away from from my library and I can only get what I have around me and uh, on on the net on the website. Um, so uh, here, oops. Um, no, this is not what I wanted. Uh, here is the book, uh, here, here is the prayer uh, that I chose to show you. Again, you can look in the entire book in this uh, beautiful project, the Open Sidur project. Um, uh, and, and here, the, the, this is a prayer that was meant for a maiden, a, a young woman. Uh, and le let's read just a little bit of it because it's a long text. All gracious Father, thou mindest and rememberest all the creature with paternal kindness. You guides and protected all creatures being uh, with a paternal hand. I am thy chi child, 
thou loves me, thou has have ever loved me, thou shalt always love me, כן? It's a little bit, Hashem הלך, Hashem ימלך, Hashem ימלוך לעולם ועד. And then uh, I skip a little bit. I approach thee, O God, with an humble heart and offer unto you upon the altar of prayer my childlike emotions and the gratitudes of my soul. Yeah, and then she's asking God that she will never be a, a burden and she will never be an obstacle to, to, to no one. So again, you can see uh, this is a very um, kind of a tracking uh, education. But this prayer was meant for women. Noida's uh, approach was that it was very, very important for people to understand what they're saying. Therefore, she produced her prayers in the vernacular. In her case, it was German. Um, by the way, it was also translated to Hebrew. I think the Hebrew is beautiful, but not always uh, faithful to the, to the original text in Yiddish as much as I can understand Yiddish. My Yiddish is not that good. But I wanted to show you a little bit more what she has here. So you have a prayer for an orphan. You have a prayer for a bride on her nuptial day. And then you have a whole chapter for married women. Uh, we have a wife's prayer for the matrimonial happiness. You have um, uh, a mother's prayer on the wedding day of her daughter. You have a mother's prayer on the wedding day of her son. Uh, you see, this is a different text. Um, yeah. And you have a, a prayer on the approach of the accouchment before giving birth and a, a prayer after delivery. I thought maybe I will read to you a little bit of this prayer. Oh my God, you see where I am? Here. Oh my God, more and more it approaches the great hour on which I shall give birth to another being according to thy wise ordination. O oh God, thou knowest my weakness. Thou wilt forgive me that I took uh, toward that I look toward that hour with dread and anxiety. Yeah, so you can see that it really it depicts the feeling of a woman. I think it's very clear that a woman really wrote it. For thou, om, uh, omniscient, om, omniscient one, alone knows what that hour shall be unto me. Therefore, I call unto thee from the depths of my soul, fortify me with strength and courage in the hour of danger. God of mercy, grant that life of my child may not be, a, 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 not be my death. Shorten the woes of, and pains uh, that await me. Let thy help be nigh upon, nigh upon me, uh, unto me uh, in the moment of danger. And do not remember the multitude of my sins. Yeah, uh, the remembrance of sin is something that is um, very present in a lot of these prayers. Um, uh, the interesting thing here is that she, this is a relatively uh, egalitarian prayer. In many of these prayers, the concept of sin is very central. Women suffer through childbirth because of the sin of, uh, the, of our early, you know, original mother, Chava. And uh, there you also have desires if women are asking to have male child and not female child. Um, well, that's, 
it's also something that you can uh, that you can find them. Um, so I just want to, uh, before we move on, just to mention a, a debate between two uh, major scholars that dealt with the trines as a genre. One, and I already mentioned uh, both of them. So Hannah Weisler, in her book Voices of the Matriarchs from 1998, uh, uh, sees these prayers as very spontaneous, personal, domestic completely separate from the standard liturgy, something that is a world unto its own. Deborah Kay, who worked on Seder Trines, the, the first book that we saw, the bestseller, if I can call it this way, uh, the Trines volume that was um, printed more than any other uh, 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 Trines volume before that, she claims that, uh, that the, the framework within which the trinets were uh, 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 uttered or uh, performed should themselves be considered part and parcels of Judaism's star standard venue of worship, right? Because lighting the Shabbat candles, although it's a home the, uh, the domestic uh, liturgy, this is part of um, the standard liturgy. And also she points out at the fact that a lot of these uh, prayers have to do with um, with the synagogue, with, with festivals or Shabbat or Shodesh, and she assumes, although we cannot know it for sure, that women said it in the synagogue. And even if the women said it in the synagogue separately, each one with her Trinus book, yes, and we have, I don't know what about you, but I know all, of all these stories about the Trinus book that where all the printing words were uh, erased by tears because women really, it was very emotional moment for a lot of women. Um, each one of them read maybe uh, for herself, but they were together. However, Deborah Kay assumes further that maybe the women even uh, um, uh, pronounce or, or utter these prayers together, maybe with the help of uh, Fierzeugering. Remember last week we spoke about the Fierzeugering, the women, the woman uh, a cantor that led women in prayer or, or taught women how to pray. We will probably never know how it uh, took part, how it, uh, how it actually was performed. Uh, but you can see that some people see it as, as, a, as a means for women to be included in the synagogue, to be included in the standard liturgy, in the flow of things. And some people, uh, that's Deborah Kay, uh, as opposed to Chava Weisler, who sees it as something that is completely separate, something that's done on, at home, and something that keeps women from being with the Kela at the Kela. So, uh, uh, and, and one of the problems that we have with the Trinus, I'm, I'm not a scholar of Trinus, I, I just uh, enjoy learning about them, that is that something, it's very hard to, as I said, it's, we don't know who wrote them. And in many cases, they quote each other. They cite each other without giving reference. So you don't really know which was the first, which was the, the original text. Um, and, and, and again, as I said before, some believe that some of these prayers, for example, Sora Bastoivim, was, were composed by men who tried to think as women. What would a woman write or what should a woman write when she thinks about uh, having a child, or when she is uh, when it's the beginning of Yom Kippur, um, 
interestingly enough, this is uh, something that I saw in one book that one of the early reformers, when they, uh, that's not about women at all, but what, one of the early reformers, when he tried to, uh, rabbis, when he tried to convince that it's, it's legitimate and it's kosher to pray in the vernacular, in your language, uh, took this trinus as a very successful example. He says women pray and they are much more emotional. They have much more awe and they have much more kavana, intentionality when they pray because they really understand what they're saying. Um, when people say the prayers in Hebrew, which is the holy language that comprises our sidurim, Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic, if they don't understand what they're saying and they say, okay, the one who needs to understand it does understand it, but we, maybe we don't have to understand what we're saying. What does it do to, to, to your sense of kavana and to your sense of awe and to your sense of tefillah, right? If it's something that you do again and again and again and you really don't understand what you're saying. And he took it as a, as a, a very uh, happy precedent uh, of, of using the vernacular in order to enhance the meaning or, or the, sense, the sense of tefillah, yeah? And I just wanted to remind you that uh, um, we mentioned it last week that in Tractate Sota, chapter seven, we see that it's, it is uh, allowed to pray in any language, to say the tefillah, that is to say the Amidah, and to recite the Shema in any language that you know. It doesn't have to be Hebrew, although as we know, Jews did pray, did pray uh, in Hebrew. In the Sephardic world, again, I am sorry here that I don't have a, a, a many good news about that. We don't have, we don't have, well, I'll just say it. We don't have a Trinus book or something that is equivalent in the Sephardic or Mizrahi world. What we do have is communal uh, paraliturgical or liturgical singing of women uh, when it comes to life um, uh, passages, uh, events. Vered uh, Madar, for example, uh, worked on uh, women's singing uh, as, uh, uh, in the framework of giving birth before, during, after, and uh, uh, singing that women singing that have to do with death. Tzivia uh, Tuvi spoke about uh, women's uh, singing in the context of the Tunisian women, and there's still a lot of work to be done. So we're talking about, uh, not about a, a written text, but about oral performance of text that in many cases was a, a group uh, a group thing, yeah? So women sang unto each other. Uh, when, when one woman gave birth, the, the entire group of friends or family members uh, gathered together and sang, sang for her and sang for the midwife and sang for the baby. Um, but it was not uh, a written, um, a written text, as you, as you know, uh, one of the great uh, disadvantages of the early years of Israel of the melting pot uh, policy is that we lost a lot of this oral uh, uh, wealth and, and richness that was a part of, 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 uh, of many of our cultures. Uh, we don't really have a lot of time. Uh, we actually have very little time, but I want to dedicate a few words about uh, what we can find in today's uh, liturgy. Okay, in, in today's uh, um, wait, in today's uh, uh, prayers. But before that, a little anecdote. This is a very famous picture. I'm sure you all know by Maurice Gottlieb, 
a very talented uh, painter who died very young. This is Jews praying in the synagogue on Yom Kippur, um, probably in Hungary. Uh, sure. He painted it in 1878. And you can see the women's section. The women are really not in a very separate place. Remember last week we spoke about a, a really different uh, building, separate building. Some, in some cases that really was distant from the synagogue. I mean, not, not connected to the synagogue. Here you can see the women's gallery really above, above uh, the, uh, the, the male uh, part. And um, one woman is really reaching out and maybe touching the head of, of the young uh, uh, man uh, down there uh, who was actually the painter. And the different women present us, and also the different men present us with different attitudes toward prayer. Some women are chatting, some women are seem a little bit distracted, but some women seem to be very much into it. Now, what happened to this picture when it got into the Haredi Wikipedia, the ultra-Orthodox equivalent of Wikipedia that is called Hamichlol? And here, if we have the women in the ruin gallery, you can see this is the original piece on the right side. And this is the piece in Hamichlol and no women at all. The women were erased from the picture. And if you think that this is something that only ultra-Orthodox people could do and uh, that is outrageous, I just wanted to show you the, the, the classical book about Jewish liturgy that was written by uh, Ismar Elbogen. This is the Hebrew version of it. Hatfilah Israel, yeah, the Hebrew version of Jewish liturgy, uh, a comprehensive uh, uh, history. It was originally printed in uh, Germany in 1913. That is to say, more than a hundred years, and still there's no not a book that replaced this uh, very classical book. Uh, and look what happens here. <laughs> so here, I don't think they didn't want to show women, or they wanted to erase women. But maybe women were not so important to the person who designed the. Uh, the front uh, cover here, and, and, and the title of the book is covering most of the women here. I just thought it would be interesting to share this with you. Now, a few words about women in contemporary Judaism. Of course, th that would require a whole different series, but uh, we, will, uh, we will talk a little bit about that. That's the picture that I ch chose to, uh, to place here. Of course, there could be many different uh, pictures here. I don't know the origin of this, uh, this one, so I didn't give credit. If you know, I, I'd be happy to, to change it. Um, and uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted here. Uh, and uh, what we see here in, in and here I will talk about uh, liberal Judaism, but I want I want us to 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 take into account that the inclusion of women in the liturgy, women as prayers and prayers for women and experiences of women is something that is uh, uh, debated in, in, I would say, most segments of Judaism today. Uh, uh, and if the battle has won in liberal Judaism, and therefore it's a little bit boring because what can you say? Uh, this is still, a, this is a very interesting uh, thing. This is an interesting, we can see very interesting processes within modern orthodoxy here. And by the way, the, the way I phrase it here, uh, talking about women and prayer is also something that I think my students would not like at all because they are not talking about the inclusion of women. They are talking about gender and inclusivity. Yeah, because uh, gender is, is, a, is a wider phrase than just uh, talking about uh, the case of women. 
So when we talk about the case, the inclusion of women uh, in many uh, modern Siduim, that's not only liberal. We talk about inclusive language to refer to worshipers. So if you have modeani, if you have, I thank you, uh, God, for restoring, or I, I thankfully acknowledge God for restoring my soul. This is the first uh, liturgical utterance that we say in the morning. You have modeani in the male voice and you have modani in the female voice. This is not a big deal, but the idea that uh, not only men, but also women use the prayer book. This is something that is done deliberately um, in, in, in many prayer books today. Addition of female characters. So uh, in reform liturgy and in many conservative and of course reconstructionist Siduim, you see that in the Amidah, for example, the 18th benediction, the first blessing that talks about our ancestors, it's not just Avraham, Isaac, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, but it's also Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Veleah, or as I like it, Sarah, Rivka, Leah, Verachel, because Leah was the older, and she should come first, although it rhymes better with Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Veleah. So the inclusion of the female characters, and we know that the whole story of our ancestors, of our uh, Avot, it would not uh, be, uh, be possible without the help of the mothers. So we, we mentioned them. And also, since we are on the verge of Parashat Beshalach, we're going to read Parashat Beshalach this Shabbat, uh, the Song of the Sea, uh, not just the, the verses that, uh, uh, that they are the Song of the Sea that Moses sang, but also the verses of song that Miriam sang. She also sang the Song of the Sea. So we, in many Sidurim, including the one I, co-edited, we in included the, uh, the verses of Miriam. And then we can talk about new rituals and new ritual opportunities. And this is a tricky one, yes? Because on one hand, we're talking about a balanced situation. You have bar mitzvah for boys, so you should have bat mitzvah for girls. You have a brit milah, circumcision ceremony for boys. We need to have something equivalent for, for women. Obviously, not, nothing is going Nobody's going to cut anything, uh, thank God, when it's, when it's a baby girl. But we have to have something that is equivalent to, to the Brit Milah and its importance and its, and its um, uh, gravitas in, this, in the community. So this is about balancing. But uh, another thing, and in a way, it goes back to the, to the realm of the, um, of this, of the Trines, uh, also thinking about other passages within, within a, a female life that deserve to be religiously acknowledged. So the first menstruation, and on the other hand, the, the menopause, um, women who heal from all kinds of, uh, uh, from sickness. Yes, we know that a lot of people, uh, what are the, uh, actual numbers, one of every eight woman, women will suffer from breast cancer. So it, it, prayers and rituals to, to uh, before starting treatments, after, after completing treatments, women who want to conceive, women who go through fertility treatments, uh, women, people who want to adopt children, women who heal from uh, sexual abuse um, and all kinds of ritual moments, some of them did not uh, 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 appear at all in classical Judaism. And, and, uh, and the new rituals are creating a new language. And that's different from creating bat mitzvah. 
because you have the bar mitzvah, actually bar mitzvah is the youngest uh, of, of all our life cycle events. You have the bar mitzvah and then you have a bat mitzvah. It's just that instead of having a blue, a blue and white talit, you have a white and pink talit, right? So, or, 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 so that's the question. Should it be an imitative ritual or should it be innovative ritual? And each one of them has its prices. Because uh, if it's too innovative, maybe it doesn't feel Jewish uh, so much. So how how do you ground it in the tradition in a profound way and yet um, find ways to express your thoughts and feelings about it? And then comes the most uh, challenging and debated uh, uh, thing of all, and that's God language. How do we address the divine? And I can tell you that as the editor of the new Israeli Sidur, I was, <laughs> I was often called a, a very, very conservative, on lowercase conservative on one hand, and on the other hand, I was called a completely radical. So the older rabbis thought that I'm completely radical, the younger rabbis, my students, uh, especially the female students, but not only them, thought that I'm very <laughs> conservative because I was willing to play with, with, a, with the reference of God or the divine, but not in the main liturgy. Uh, so our Siddur is constructed in, in a way that has, um, a, the traditional text is in black in larger fonts. And we have some alternative and additional uh, prayers that are in blue and smaller font. And here we allowed ourselves to talk, to, to play a little bit and to try to think about more inclusive ways to deal with the divine. So, Brucha Atia, although Ya is not a feminine name, calling God Hashchina, referring to God as Havaya. So we have quite a few of them and time will tell. Time will tell if this would be uh, become a more standard uh, part of the liturgy or it will be not needed anymore or, or forgotten. <laughs> so, Time will tell if, if, I know that a lot of people find it very meaningful to them. Why? Because we know that God, what we say in the 13 uh, attributions of God, right? Based on Maimonides, God does not have a body or the likeness of a body. And yet every attribution that we have in the liturgy to God is God is the father, God is the king, God is the shepherd, God is the judge, God is the... El all the references are uh, to men. And in, in that way, it, it, it puts women as the ultimate alternative, uh, ultimate other. Yes, if, if, if the mainstream is that God is a male, although we don't say that God is a male, then what does it do to the women who are in the congregation? Therefore, we, we, we thought, or a lot of people think that uh, trying to, to have a more diverse way of calling the divine can help us in a way to, to understand that there's really not a human way in which we can talk about God. Yeah, because it's not within our capacity. And that's why we can re remember the, the negative attribution theory of, of Maimonides. We cannot say anything positive about God because we cannot. It's not within our human capacity to talk about God. We can only say what God is not. And if we have time uh, after your questions, maybe we can. I can show you an example for this in our new Siddur. But right now, I think, um, um, let me just show you the last uh, uh, 
the last uh, slide here. What we try to do here is in a very tentative and broad way to talk about women as prayers throughout the ages or as worshipers, to talk about prayers that were composed by or prayers that were composed for women and what are their attributions. We were, we spoke a little bit about prayers mentioning women, like what I said now about the matriarchs, the Imahot and Miriam. And we spoke a little bit about what is feminine prayers? Why, what does it mean to have feminine prayers? And if is, there is such, such a thing as feminine prayer, I have a, a lot of material on my website. Much of it is in Hebrew, I'm sorry, but there are some things in English. Uh, also, and you're very, very welcome to uh, to come to my uh, Sifria. I'm not hesitating to speak about it now because there's nothing, uh, I don't sell anything on there. It's just trying to uh, enable people to, 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 uh, to, to share with people material. Uh, this is not, not a commercial website at all. Thank you all of you. And I see a lot of my colleagues uh, here. Uh, it's, it's a great honor. And thank you again uh, to Mike and Dina and Elias for that. Um, that was a great pleasure. I learned a lot and Erev uh, Tov to all of you. Thank you for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you like what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Parts one and two of this series can be found on our Spotify channel and on elma.pardes.org. Thanks for listening.